Friday. I know I shouldn't really be this happy in light of everything that's been going on. And um, trust me when I tell you I'm very sad about this election, but I'm not here to talk about that today. Today is Veterans Day and I have my friend Clark Broadbent. Now, I know Clark because he's neighbors with um, um, the Pellegrinos and the Pellegrinos go to church with me. And every year the Pellegrinos throw a party, a summer party at their house. And I go. <laughs> and that's how I met Clark and his wife. So we struck up a conversation. We had lunch a couple of weeks ago, a week ago. And I said, you should come on my show because it's Veterans Day and you're a veteran. Welcome. Well, here I am. How and, are you? Well, I'd like to say that. Come right close up I, to I, it. I would like to say that I have never had a better day because it keeps me going every oh! single day. It's so nice to see you on Veterans Day. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to now, I know that you have a, a very interesting and storied life, right? That includes military service. Mm-hmm. But it also includes boating. Yeah. It includes photography. Yeah. So you have, a, you have a, a big life. Well, I, it, it's interesting being here. I was just thinking about it for years and years and years. I was the invisible face behind the box. And all of a sudden, I'm the voice behind the invisible face. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting perspective on things. I'm looking forward to it at all. It's, you have to stay focused in front I'm, of I am I am right here at the microphone. <laughs> there. Now, okay. you're from? I'm from Southern California. Yes. I, was, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, and spent some time in Utah where my dad was a a professor at Brigham Young University and, and the University of Utah. And then he got recruited in 1953, I'm dating myself now, uh, to be uh, the dean of students at the University of California, Riverside. And uh, so we moved there. And um, I never did boating because boating's expensive, particularly in Southern California. I was a surf bum <laughs> instead. <laughs> uh, and uh, pe- people ask me where I grew up, and I say, well, I, I went to school in Riverside, but I grew up in Santa Barbara. Uh-huh. Because uh, that's Which right. Which is really nice. Oh, yeah. There are worse places to go to school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're having their 50th anniversary, 50th reunion that's this coming um, April, and I'm, I'm hoping to be able to go out and, and oh, that'd be, be nice. Part of that. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. So you're, you're, you're a teenager, you're growing up, you graduate high school, and you do what? Well, I graduate high school, and, uh, it, that was sort of, uh, okay, what's next? The next thing is college, because that was, I was in an academic family, and, and uh, so I did Santa Barbara, went to school at Santa Barbara. Uh, I, I sort of went to school. There was uh, some, <laughs> if you've ever seen the it's campus, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a great place to be in school. Uh, it's also a great place to be in, on, or near the water, and I, I put myself through school lifeguarding on the state beaches around there, and surfing when I wasn't lifeguarding and going to school when I wasn't surfing or mm-hmm. lifeguarding. So, <laughs> sort of in that order. Uh, so I, I graduated with the gentlemanly C plus and, uh, I like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was still a little bit above average. And, uh, uh, at that point, this was graduated in 1967 and the, uh, there was this war and, uh, I mean, you mean this war, you mean the war, that Vietnam war, war yeah. that war, yeah, the yeah. Vietnam war. So I, I ended up getting drafted, uh, actually four days ago, five days ago was the 49th anniversary of my entering the army. Wow. November 7th, 19, November 7th, 1967, I uh-huh. walked across the line and said, okay, boys and girls, you've got me for two years, 730 days and counting. <laughs> and uh, 
I counted every single day. There was never a day uh, when I didn't know exactly how many days I had left. Uh, when we got in country in Vietnam, uh, almost every single person there uh, in the military anyway had what was called a short-timers calendar, a short calendar. Uh, although you couldn't really say it was a short calendar until you got short, which was anything less than like 100 days. Mm-hmm. But I could tell you from three or four different places on my body how many days I had. I'd pull out this calendar or that calendar. and One of the best little gifts a, a guy could give themselves was to forget to mark off the days for maybe a week. And then all of a sudden you go, holy cow. And, you know, I'm five more, you know, five, I'm closer to getting home. <laughs> you know, that was, that was, uh, uh, and then, you know, a, a that was what kept people going was mm-hmm. knowing that they had one year. That was a unique thing about the tour in Vietnam because except for the Marines who got 13 months cause they were Marines and, and all my brother Marines, I'm sorry, <laughs> but, uh, I was looking forward to getting home the minute I got off the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, as we sort of mentioned when we had lunch a while back, uh, the difference in the way people got there. Um, I landed, uh, I got on an airplane with 400 guys that I didn't know and got off the airplane and was with four or 500 other guys I didn't know and got orders to go someplace and be in a unit with 200 guys I didn't know. And in almost all the other wars, uh, the desert wars now, you get into a unit and you train as a unit and go over as a unit, you work as a unit, you fight as a unit, uh, and you uh, come home as a unit, and you debrief as a unit, and you become healthy again as Mm -hmm. a unit. And there was none of that. Now, do you think the Vietnam War changed that, or was that unique just to the Vietnam War? Uh, I think think that people got, well, that was the last war that we had people be drafted in. Mm Mm-hmm. The desert wars were all enlisted folks. All the people who are in, uh, wherever they are now, are folks who walked into a recruiter's office and said, I want to be part of your group. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a good thing, except that I think it's changed the way, and I'm not going to get into a long-form policy issue discussion, but uh, I have a feeling that if uh, the sons and daughters of the people who made American foreign policy had go out and be in harm's way because of a draft like in Israel, um, the foreign policy might be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was clear right in basic training uh, when you walked through the chow line, you had to yell out your service number. Uh, U.S. 567 ER, which is enlisted reserves, or RA, regular army. And um, that sort of said, what kind of a, you know, did you get drafted or are you here because you want to be? Mm-hmm. And now every every mother, son, and daughter who wears the uniform is somebody who said, I want to be there. And it's changed the foreign policy, I believe, because um, the folks, the sons and daughters of the folks who make American foreign policy, if they want to be, they are, but... If they didn't want to be there, they don't have to be. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of think that that a, a universal service of one sort or another. You're I'm, good. Okay, universal <laughs> service of one sort or another would probably be a pretty good thing. Uh-huh. Um, also, it would give everybody an investment in the game. You know, I I spent my time. Let's get it together here. Mm-hmm. Right now, part of uh, well, I'm going to I'm going to go off into political divisiveness, no, and I don't want to do that. No, because, we, I got you. you know, don't worry. Right I'll now, bring we're look, right now we're looking at a country that is incredibly divided, and some of that is around issues that have nothing to do with war. But uh, a lot of the young folks do not have to have uh, a personal investment in the game. Mm-hmm. And so they can go off and be whatever they want to be, 
which is a fine thing, but they're not invested in, they don't have a personal gut-level investment in what's going on in the country other than what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. a, that's a pretty powerful, I mean, that's a really powerful thing to and, sort and, of go at. Yeah, I think that, that there are, you know, I hate to make it a them and us, but there's them and then there's us <laughs> on so many different levels. And this would be one level where that wouldn't be the case. We mm-hmm. could all be, you know, what unit you know, were you and where were you? what did you do? Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep running into, uh, I, I wear my Vietnam hat a lot and I run into people who wear theirs. And first thing we do is, Hey, welcome home, brother. doesn't matter who you are, what you are, when you were there or whatever. It's a bridge. It's a connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we go, you know, depending on how it goes, you either take it and run with it or a good, nice seeing you and get on with your day. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a brotherhood in the Vietnam guys because we all went through it alone. We all went through it alone together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. we were all doing the same things, but we didn't have anybody to rely on. I got to my unit and as I, uh, I was the, the new guy and the new guy gets to be the one who empties the, the 55 gallon drums of diesel fuel that are underneath the hole in the latrine <laughs> and burns it. You know, I mean, they're not kidding. That's one way that it gets rid of it. And you know, somebody has got to do the job. It's a dark and dirty job. Somebody has got to do it, but you, it's the new guy who gets those jobs, and then you finally get some street cred or credibility in your unit by doing what it is that you do and doing it as well or better than anybody else, and finally you may have to be a leader. And then it's an interesting stage. You're the new guy, then you're uh, one of the guys, and then it comes down and we go back to the short-timers calendar that says, holy cow, I'm a double-digit midget. I've got 100 days left. I got 99 days left. I'm getting short. Don't mess with me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I've, I've put 250 days or, you know, in for you. Now I'm in it for me to get out of here. And then you get to be a single-digit midget and leave me alone. And those guys often got sent back to be either the the diesel burners or sit and shuffle paper and combat. I mean, back in the, in the unit where it was safe because uh-huh. nobody wanted to be killed on their last day in country. Nobody wanted to be in danger their last week in country. So yeah. you, so you do your time, you do your tour sure, in Vietnam yeah. and then you get out. Well, you, yeah, you, I, I mean, mean, you come you, home. you're sort of, pushed off the airplane, given a haircut and a brand new suit of Army Greens so you can get on the airplane and fly standby. And I know I know several of, of my friends and several people who have become my friends since then uh, who were abused, mistreated, sworn at, spit at, whatever, uh, in airports. And so I wore my Army Greens, my brand new set of Wasted money, giving me a brand new set of army greens that I've worn for two hours till I could get on the airplane. The airplane took off. I went into the bathroom on the airplane, took them off, put them in the trash, and got off the airplane in a pair of Levi's, a tennis, you know, sneaks and a t-shirt. And my, my parents were a little disappointed because they wanted to see Johnny come home from the war, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to get off the airplane and be done with it. Mm-hmm. And um. There was no debriefing. There was no counseling. There was no transitioning. So you were on your own. Yeah. I mean, to handle whatever, whatever trauma, whatever stress, whatever, whatever you carried back with you. Yeah. And, and the VA was there, but, uh, I just avoided it like the plague Mm because to me it was the military. It wasn't the people who helped the military. And I've sort of, in the last several years as a patient at the West Haven VA, uh, I've come to respect what they do tremendously. Um, but there, 
I mean, folks with Agent Orange, I wear on my hat uh, two things. I've got a blue ribbon on my hat that stands for prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And I've got a, a little orange pin here that shows an airplane, or on this one it's a helicopter, spraying something called Agent Orange. Mm -hmm. And um, those things were not, there was no connection for the military to prostate cancer or Agent Orange uh, till the, or to PTSD. Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. Just, yeah, yeah. Um, until the mid-80s, late 80s. And so mm -hmm. uh, a very good friend of mine who did three tours uh, in the NAM uh, was a LERP, a long-range reconnaissance patrol. Uh, he was a recon sniper. Uh, and he had God knows how much exposure to Agent Orange because they sprayed from the air places where he was to defoliate, and so people could he could see where he was shooting, or most more to the point where he could where people could see uh, the folks who were hauling supplies down the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Uh, and there are still places if folks go to Google Earth on their computer at home, and you go to uh, a place called Khe Song or go mm -hmm. to Ashaw Valley. Um, there are places around there and right along the, the uh, Laos, New ha uh, <laughs> Laos, Vietnam uh, border uh, all the way up into North Vietnam or just the northern part of Vietnam now. Uh, there, was, there are still places that are not growing, mm -hmm. have not, will not ever grow. And there are villages of people uh, there now who are having, uh, I guess the closest analogy would be, if people remember, thalidomide babies. They, mm. the, because the Vietnamese got no, oh, hey, hey folks, we're going we're gonna to spray Agent Orange on y'all today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, don't, they didn't tell you that. And it was sprayed with oil, and, it, and so it would stick. And defoliate, and it defoliated trees very quickly, so you could see where people were or weren't. Uh, but people were under it, and um, it there. There's now uh, a, a whole paragraph of diseases that the Veterans Administration has just called presumptive at this point. That says, "Hey, if you can show me your DD two fourteen, which is the Bible of the GI, that says." This is the paper they give you the day you get discharged. It said, this is where you were, what you did, what your rank was, what your awards were. I mean, it's the, every, every military person knows a DD-214. Yes. Um, and uh, if you could show a boot on the ground, one day a boot on the ground and a diagnosis by a military doctor and they'd examine you, um, the, the military got tired of losing individual lawsuits and got tired of losing class action lawsuits for prostate cancer, uh, for Parkinson's disease, for a whole lot of really nasty things that this dioxin-based um, uh, chemical caused. Mm -hmm. And so now, uh, you get, if you can demonstrate that, the, they'll give you benefits. How badly you are affected, if you know, defines the level of your benefit. Uh, I am unfortunately totally and permanently one hundred percent disabled, because uh, actually I have one hundred thirty percent disability, but you only get a hundred. You know? uh, I've got a hundred percent from my cancer and thirty percent from PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, but a friend of mine in the mid-80s went in and got uh, sent away. Um, he'd retired in, from uh, Special Forces, and, and uh, he, uh, he got sent away, and finally I sort of grabbed him by the ear and took him to a friend of mine who, who is a counselor. Uh, and, and for those folks who are coming back from wherever, uh, if you're not really comfortable about going right into the VA, uh, there, the Veterans Administration has a sort of a satellite program, uh, the Veterans Outreach Centers. 
And those guys, their job is to get you integrated. If you need to set, set up a claim or get a claim filed, they'll help you to help direct you to that. No, that's good to know. Yeah, I don't but, hear much about yeah, that. It's a, it's a, uh, when I was first, um, early on in my prostate cancer, I was seeing a therapist at the hospital and, um, she sent me off to a psychiatrist because there were some issues that she didn't want to deal with and he was better prepared to deal with. Um, and, uh, I'm spinning. No, no, you're good. No, no, you're good. He, um, no, he was, he was just really good and was, was able to, uh, help direct me to somebody who was going to help me get my claim filed. Mm -hmm. The, the um, uh, Disabled American Veterans uh, is one of the charities, one of the organizations that it, when people talk about charities, they talk about some of the big ones where the percentage of money that is donated is 10%, 20%, 30% used for the charity. Um, the 100% of every dollar that is donated to the DAV goes towards the support of veterans. And one of their major purposes, aside from things that you see, you'll see does the DAV truck have got drivers that bring people who can't live out in the boonies and can't get to the hospital. They got truck folks who will go get them from the DAV. But their major purpose is to help you get your claim for benefits Okay, yeah. that's useful. It's very yeah yeah. That's people, very useful. You know, people say I'll go to the VA and file a claim. No, don't go to the VA and file a claim. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> go to somebody who's you know truly on your side, that whose job is to get that claim for mm-hmm. you from the VA. Yes. You know, they're your advocate, and, and it sort of is a because the VA has a, a fairly stringent qualifying and vetting process and they sometimes it comes down to the the right words in in the in the letter of recommendation and you know i I was while i was uh, in early treatment when i had cancer they would pay me 100 percent disability and then i would go for a little while into not remission, but I would go into my cancer was non-detectable because mm-hmm. they were giving me this wonderful medicine. And then six months later, it would um, show up again. And I'd have to go through the whole claim process again. Wow. Yeah. Even though my doctor would say, hey, he's got cancer. It's going to come back. But unless it was detectable, they'd say, oh, no, you don't, you're... So we had to fight that fight for a long time. Um, and finally I ran into the right doctor who wrote it the right way and kind of understood that I'd been fighting this fight for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two weeks later I got my claim approved. And uh, now I have, you know, the downside of having cancer is I have cancer. The upside is that um, I have free medical care for the rest of my life. Total and permanent free. I can't go shopping for doctors. <laughs> but I also have Medicare and a plan B. So if I need a second opinion, I can. Yes. But, you know, the whatever it is for the plan B, I'll, I never see it because it comes out of my Social Security. You know, it's it's not money I'm paying. It's just money I'm not getting. Okay. Okay. You know. So let's, let's, um, yeah. let's talk about some other parts of your life. Now, okay. Now you are... A pretty well-known photographer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Nicest thing I've I heard all day. Um, well, well, my degree is, from college is in political science, but and I had thoughts of either being a teacher or a lawyer, and I came back and I had and still have some authority issues, and I figure, uh, and I also got hold of a camera from some folks who went various places on R and R, and. I was, wasn't bad at it, and I came back and I said, well, if I do this, um, 
I can hold, you know, I don't have to work for anybody. I've never really had a job where I show up on Monday, mm-hmm. do a week's work and get a check on Friday. I, you know, if, I, if I was shooting and working, it was because I was selling my photography or selling my services. Uh, when I was doing, I was doing commercial photography where I had to sell my services before I, before they bought the picture. Cause we bought, you know, they hired me to do something rather than here, this is a wonderful photograph. I want to buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and people would say, well, don't you get, where's your creative stuff? And I say, you you ever tried to make a liquor bottle beautiful? <laughs> that gets creative. <laughs> you know, so I, I, you know, I, I did that and I was able to, uh, uh, Pulled that into a, I met some very wonderful folks uh, who were at the Creative Arts Workshop, a mm-hmm. fine school here down on Audubon Street. Yep. And it was, I was in the very early stages of that with the first executive director, uh, Debbie Weaver, who's passed on. She was married to Howard Weaver, who was the uh, uh, chairman of the film department at Yale. And a lot of the Yale folks were doing their civic stuff at the Creative Arts Workshop, and I met some folks, um, and they ended up getting a job teaching photography there. Uh, but that wasn't living. That was I like to teach. I'm a good teacher. You know, I've taught swimming. I've taught photography. If I if I know it, I could teach it. Mm-hmm. And that was you know. That's a place where I got a lot of creativity going because I'd help people find theirs. Um, and, and then I got to where I couldn't afford to do that, the teaching. <laughs> yes. Because they weren't really paying, you know, they because they were all volunteers, the board, you know. Mm-hmm. So they sort of wanted us to be volunteers, but they paid us. It just wasn't enough to make a living because they wanted you to be making a living doing what you were teaching. Which is a fair thing. Yes. But I needed to do more of what I was teaching and teach less of what I was doing. <laughs> so so I moved I I, <clears throat> I, I moved from um, the faculty there. I was on also an adjunct at the University of New Haven for a while. Uh, and it just got to where I couldn't afford to teach and I got into doing jobs. The first time I had to turn down a job that was worth a semester's uh, salary. Um, I said, okay, we got to make a decision here and get serious about what I was doing. So I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, I did that for a while. And then a really good friend of mine, because I was, um, gosh, 1995, I think, uh, a really good friend of mine, a sailing friend, um, and this is right around when digital was coming into play mm-hmm. and all these young kids coming out of photography school with digital knowledge and digital stuff and knowing how to do it all with no overhead. Cause I had a, I had a 1400 foot square foot studio in Erector square over on Peck street yeah. where uh, Charlie Gilbert used to make Erector Erector sets and all that. Um, so I got serious about what I was doing and was getting good at it, but it was an overhead. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, who was a sailing buddy, said, "You know, he he was well. He was the the um, sales manager for Brewer Yacht Sales, uh, and I can sell. I'm a reasonably personable guy. I can sell. You know, <laughs> I uh, would say so. <laughs> and." Uh, he said, you know, uh, Jack Brewer, uh, had just bought a new, uh, uh, marina down in Stratford and wanted to know, he said, I want to open up a brokerage. You want to be a yacht broker? And I said, well, I thought about it for Like that's got to be the seconds. coolest, one of the coolest things, a yacht broker. Well, it's, I mean, it's sort of like selling. Like that's ri- better than being a car salesman. Like, cause that's a high end thing. <laughs> Well, it's a luxury thing. Yeah. It's the first thing that goes when you can't afford it. You got to have, <laughs> you sort of got to have a car, okay. you know. Um, now, how much do yachts go for? Luxury car, luxury liners, luxury yachts go for? Like, like, what do they go for? Well, some of them have two commas. <laughs> <laughs> 
a lot of them have two commas. I didn't get into that range, um, the luxury yachts, because that's a whole specialty. I was the sort of the resident broker at a marina, and so if somebody in the marina wanted to buy a boat or sell a boat, I was the guy they came to, and so I had some $2,000 boats, some $20,000 boats, some $100,000 boats, some $300,000 boats, and some really fun boats, <laughs> you know. But uh, I was also there as part of the service. To you know, We were a full-service yard, and so part of it was that we offered brokerage services. And so I really couldn't turn down a boat because it was a low-price boat. I could say, I'm not going to represent your boat because it's a piece of crap, uh, and I'll never be able to sell it, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so I would occasionally fire a client who who had a wrong idea of what his boat was worth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I show it 10 times and don't get any offers, and it's well presented, well advertised, well photographed, the only other thing is it isn't well priced. And so I was... And we had the technology of showing them, yes, this was a good thing. Uh, one of the things, I'm going back to the jungle here for a little bit. Okay. Okay. I survived. I learned so many jungle lessons. Not the jungle with trees, but the jungle with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can get along with almost anybody. Uh, there's a a prominent attorney in town uh, that I used to do some work for. And uh, I went down to, uh, he, he had a client, and uh, uh, the client was down in the hill. And uh, I went, I drove my little car down to the hill and on the Arch in Congress and got out of the car and went over and there was, some folks on the street there, and I said, uh, I, I, I'm looking for Mr. So-and-so. And it ca- kind of got a little crowded around me, and, and uh, I had to finally say, uh, excuse me, I got $2. You go watch my car. Here's two, a dollar for watching my car and a dollar for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> And Mr. So-and-so wants to see me. Now, I don't know really how to get him because he really didn't advertise his phone number or anything, you know. So um, uh, it was a jungle. And I walked into the middle of the jungle. And the only way to survive in the middle of that jungle is to be bigger, stronger, meaner, or crazier than they are. And I, I wasn't bigger, stronger, or meaner, but I was definitely crazier than they were. <laughs> And and I got the pictures. I got the job done. Because I said, he wants to see me. Why don't you go ask him if he wants to see me? Because you don't want to be the guy who kept him from seeing me, do you? There you go. And that's a skill this little surfer boy from Southern California would not have had. <laughs> you know, if I hadn't had to get along in this other in Vietnam jungle and in, in, in the military. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the military experience teaches you a lot of that. Any military experience mm-hmm. mine was there. Um, I'm, I'm a smart fellow. I don't, I, I refuse to write off two years of my life. I refuse to say that was wasted time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, but you don't feel that way, right? No. I, like I said, I don't, uh, there's a, I'm I'm trying to learn some Spanish, a little bit of Spanish, and and uh, one of the things I've learned to say is si no puedo aprend si no aprendo algo nuevo cada día el día es desperdiciado. If I do not learn something new every day, the day is wasted. Ah, muy bien. <laughs> Eh, es una lástima grande que no tengo palabras bastantes para hablar todo el día en español con usted, pero en alemán, in German, I'm good. All right. You know, I can do that. I have a teaching minor in German literature. Okay, so you got this. That, you know, that and $2.50 will get me across the street. His Spanish was really good. 
Well, thank you. I, a friend of mine down at where I keep my boat uh, asked me where I learned my Spanish, and I said Germany. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's kind of true because, uh, I mean, I grew up in Southern California, so you got to absorb some of that just from the, the culture and the, the demographics. Um, but uh, when I was going to German language school, I met a young lady from Colombia who had no English and no German. So I had to get out the German-Spanish dictionary, and, and uh, we learned a lot of things together, some of it being uh, I learned some Spanish and she learned some German. All right. And it was kind of nice because, uh, well, that was a whole other story. So <laughs> <laughs> Cutting through coyness sometimes is a good thing. So you have your boat. Yeah. So you you get out of the yacht game. You get out of the yacht yeah. game for a bit, right? Or you retire from. Well, that. I I had to quit because uh, I could. The cancer was taking up too much of my life. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I I was forever having to make appointments that they were making that I couldn't. And I you can't you can't do the job I was doing part time. Okay. You wouldn't hire a part time broker. No. Uh, gee, I'm only going to be out there representing you half of the time that I'm working. <laughs> no. So I, you know, I had to, I had to retire and quit, but, um, th- my fort, every, every kid, uh, you were a kid once. Yes. We're all still kids, you know? Yes. Um, my, back when I was a, a young kid, if my dad brought a new refrigerator, he'd bring it, he'd come home in a big cardboard box and we'd put the cardboard box, put the refrigerator in the house, put the cardboard back box behind the garage and me and my two best friends would immediately form a club and there would be nobody else ever that was going to get into our clubhouse and we would sit in the cardboard box in our fort. Everybody's got to have a fort. Everybody's got to have a fort. You know, if you don't have a fort, you're not risking anything. You you <laughs> you, you got to have like a place that. to you got to have a place to hide. I like that. You know. And so I've got one now. Um, I didn't get to use it this last summer cause I had some, some surgery yes, over the summer. And you're and quite stuff. mobile now. Oh, I'm excited. Like I, you're getting around very well. Yeah. Yeah. I have a crutch, but I just keep that for being tired. Yeah. That yes. Today is the 11th, 12th yes. on the 10th. I was three months out of having my right hip replaced. Wow! And I'm walking. Yes. Uh, because when I saw you in the summer, you had the wheelchair thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a, uh, one of those four wheeled walkers that has a seat that has a seat yes yeah yeah. yes um that sort of makes you walk but gives you a chance to sit down when you're tired Uh uh-huh but my my fort the place where i really go and hide you know is this boat and i have that and it's really been a uh an emotionally stressful time for both my wife and myself because this place where we would go and be away and we could we kept it on a mooring out out down at the club, um, and so we could be away while not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the folks who have slips, they go down, they sit on their on their boat in their slip. Hi, how you doing? How are the kids? We had a beer. No, uh, we'd get in the dinghy, go out to the mooring, and be invisible. <laughs> and I have my fort. Now, could you sleep sleep? On oh, your- we'd go away for two or three weeks. Yeah, we. Oh, could. get out. Oh yeah, I'll I'll get you out there on the on it this coming oh, summer. Oh Lord! Oh yeah, yeah. We'd go over to the Fork of Long Island, and and uh, and stay and have a good time. We'd watch the fireworks, and there's a place um, called Three Mile Harbor where they have fireworks that the Gucci Brothers put on. Oh that, yeah, that they donate because uh, it's for a early on it was for a camp for disay or for they'd bring kids from east harlem to east hampton and teach them how to swim and how to get along and how not to kill each other and how to sail boats and how not to kill each other and 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 it was great that's and, important and <laughs> oh yeah and the kids from the camp would go around and sell a twenty dollar five dollar t-shirts and, and make money for the camp and they still do it mm-hmm. and and it gets uh really beautiful mm-hmm. and our first trip there was um just coincidentally our honeymoon oh. and, and we oh well gosh thanks uh, we didn't know where you didn't know where you were going to have this for us but 
you know, very nice. Appreciate the fireworks. <laughs> that's that's a nice touch. <laughs> so uh, all my life, I need a fort. Everybody's got to have a place to hide, you know. And yes, I'm it, trying to find a fort now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think recognizing that you need a place to hide, and it isn't hiding. It's just needing a place to be. Yes. Who you are. Yes. Yes. I'm looking for a fort now. Mm-hmm. So, you know. All mm-hmm. right. So so you've got this big life. You've got photography. You've got this boat. Mm-hmm. What else? You, what else? What else captures your fancy? And you have a lovely wife. I do. Shout I, her out. I, say I, hi to her I, if she's listening. Oh, sweet Denise. Blessed, beautiful flower <laughs> in the garden of my life. The beauty in the gospel nation. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm blessed among men to have you in my life. Yes. And, and I'm blessed to have your family in my life. We're going to uh, uh, upstate New York, near uh, Clinton, New York, near, near Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, her Denise's mom is turning 94. Wow. And, yeah, and she's pretty sharp. You know, she doesn't get around uh, well. Uh, but she's still pretty sharp, uh-huh. and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna throw a surprise birthday party for her. Oh, at, cool! At her, uh, at her, oh, she's in a nursing home. Surprise is a little tricky. I don't know. Cool. Well, the <laughs> the the folks at the nursing home are being very helpful, mm-hmm. um, and we're having a musician friend of Denise's come as part of the surprise, and. He has come to the nursing home two or three times to just perform, and he always calls out, "Laura, you know how are you doing, Laura?" And Laura is now special, and and uh, so we're gonna have him come to the uh, surprise party, uh-huh. uh, and then we'll have Thanksgiving a couple of days later. And um, oh, that'll be lovely! Yeah, yeah. Now you live on one of the coolest streets in New Haven. Oh, Perkins Street. It is one of the coolest streets. It is. I mean, and some of the nicest people. Yeah, and and there are kids. There are a lot of little children on the street, and I think that's always. I mean, I'm not. I don't have kids. I'm not the biggest fan of kids. But um, anytime you're on a street that has a, a, a continuing supply of babies <laughs> you know and, and beth bless her heart she's pumped out three yes uh, and her, her sammy yes. charlie and quinn and quinn which we call little babs uh-huh <laughs> yeah um you know it, that says something about the street yeah because it's a safe place yeah uh it's a one-way one block long street in fairhaven over by the river i can up in the winter, I can look from my third floor deck and see the river and the bridge and yeah. and the quintessential New England uh, approaching the house. If you come up Chapel Street and go head north on Chapel Street mm-hmm. past the park, that's always going to be a park. Yeah, it'll never be anything because of the folks who used to have their their metal scrapyard on it. Um, it would be cost too much to fix. Okay. So it's going to always be a park, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. Uh, I love it. I've got good neighbors who, uh, the neighbor, when I was in the hospital with my surgery on my leg, um, people were coming over to help Denise. People would show up where I was in rehab and, and just sit and josh around with me a little bit. And, um, it's we watch out for each other. We watch each other's backs, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty diverse neighborhood. It is. It's a very diverse yeah. neighborhood. Oh my goodness! And it's right yeah. there in Fairhaven. Yeah. It's, and it's a pretty street. Yes. Thank pretty. you. It's a very pretty street. And I'm I'm proud to have a pretty house on. <laughs> you do. <laughs> <laughs> you do have a pretty house. So I like everything on that street. I mean, I really. That's one of the. It's one of my little favorite streets. It's, it's like a, a gym of a street. It's in New a Haven. good place to be. Yeah. Um, you can. You know, if there are some places you don't want to walk late at night, or my wife doesn't want to walk late at night, mm-hmm. but she she's doing uh, for the last uh, little while until she injured her knee the other day. Uh, she was doing her requisite ten thousand steps a day. Mm-hmm. You know, walking up Chatham Square, yeah, and, uh, down the down Front Street, mm-hmm. um, 
past little restaurant where we had well, lunch. Well, yeah, you took me to lunch and we ate at, what is it, Anastasia's? Anastasia's, Bo- yeah. Boathouse, right? Boat, yeah, boat cafe be, or something. Yeah, it used to be just the Boathouse Cafe. And then uh, uh, Lisa, the, who owns the marina, um, said, okay, I got a going business here now. Let's get somebody else to come in and run it. And so she didn't have to, a smart move. She's a good business lady. And uh, you get good food there. Oh, the food was amazing. You you got me, you talked me into having a filet mignon. Yeah. And it was amazing. Yeah. I, you know, I'm thinking, I got to get myself back over there. It was so, well, do it. it was so five star. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if Michelin would, would you know. I mean, it might not get a Michelin star, but, but it's gonna it, get pretty it, darn it, it close. darn good. It darn good for for a yeah, little. Yeah, I didn't even know it existed. Right. So it was a charming little place. Yeah, just charming. And and eating outside by the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I'm in a uh, Facebook group with a bunch of folks that I never went to school to the same high school with because they were a couple years behind me. So they may have been there, but I was a senior and they were sophomores. And, you didn't pay attention. <laughs> no, yeah. But I I met uh, I met this one fella who, um, uh, going back to this other place there, um, he was uh, a crewman in a dust in, in a medevac helicopter. Think about Mash, the yes. helicopter that would fly in and they'd come and unload stretchers. Well, mm-hmm. he was the guy on the on the helicopter that helped unload, but more importantly, he was the guy on the helicopter who loaded the stretchers in. And um, what he has done, he's in the middle of writing a book. Uh, He had a real hard time because he went through the same thing, although he was in the Marines, and I think they did it a little bit differently. They went over as units. Mm -hmm. But um, what he faced um, as a medevac person Oh, uh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and he was, he had PTSD. He still does, but he's got it under control. Uh, and he's writing a book, and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if we had another hour, I would read you some poetry from the book. <laughs> but we don't. Well, you have to and, just come back. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'll, I'll, when, as soon as he gets it published, I'm going to get three or four copies, and one's going to be for you. All right. I'm going to wait for that. Because it, it does say that, you know, um, I think I'm reasonably got my P's and Q's together. Yes. Um, and he certainly does. And there are a lot of folks who don't. Um, every time I feel bad about my situation, there are times when I can walk down parts of the hospital that you don't walk down very much. And I go, mm. and, and you see folks like in some of the federal places where in my war, these guys maybe shoulda and could woulda died, mm-hmm. but modern technology ha- and has now got them where they can be in a first class hospital a half an hour after they hit. So it's it, war sucks is what I'm trying to yes. say. And, and and I would like us to move away from war, but so I don't know these next four years. A uh, different kind of war. I'm wearing a safety pin right now. Yes, talk about because we have five. We have like three minutes we left. Two and a half. Yes. 20. So talk about the safety pin because well, there's a whole movement. Yeah. People are wearing safety pins. Well, what what happened was that in in Great Britain they had a very strange election, somewhat <laughs> like ours, where uh, the citizens of Great Britain, uh, England, um, said, "Well, let's not be part of the euro anymore," uh, and it's called Brexit, British exit. Yeah, uh, and some folks over there were saying, "Well, we gotta, we gotta get through this and get together again." And then people were saying, "Hey, these guys over here, you know, we're in a problem too because we had an incredibly divisive election, and yet we have one country, and and ultimately the country's what's got to win. Mm-hmm. But we got to be together to do it. What the safety pin is." is a way of saying, I am a safe place. If you are in trouble, I will stand up with you and for you. If somebody pulls off your hajib, I will stand with you. If you are a woman and need to be walked home, I will walk you home. Whatever it is that you've got that is a problem for you, my safety pin says, I'm safe. And if I'm safe, I'm going to make 
you safe, and we're going to get together on that. That's a wonderful thing. I think it's a wonderful thing. Well, thank you for spending your Veterans Day with me. Thank you for this, having I couldn't me. have had a better guest for today because I, uh, I was feeling some kind of way about veterans today because I have veterans in my family mm-hmm. who, who are no longer with us. And so, you know, I wanted this to not be just a usual conversation, but I wanted to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of, God just sort of put you in my path so that I could have a conversation with a veteran, but not have it just be about military, but just your life and mm-hmm. the world and you know that so that so thank you thank you very much Babs. it was a pleasure <laughs> thank you you'll come back and we'll have lunch yeah. again and oh, beth yeah. pellegrino said we can't have lunch without her again okay so i was like okay beth all right come, come very on. good so, so thank you lucy gelman for producing thank you beth. and so she's gonna play me out with um i have a friend of mine johnny king who wrote a song for his sister evelyn champagne king the singer the big rock star woman okay. and superstar and so um, so I've been playing this song for a year. <laughs> I probably should get new songs, but I really like this song on a Friday. So so I'll see you all next week. And uh, happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day. I want to dance all night, Monday morning. I'm sick of this job already.